You're listening to the Business with Purpose podcast with your host, Molly Stillman of stillbeingmolly.com. This podcast takes you behind the scenes with some of the world's most generous entrepreneurs, from the CEOs of mission-driven brands to directors of small community nonprofits and everything in between. Molly is sitting down with men and women who believe in changing the world not only through their personal lives, but also their professional careers. And now, here's Molly. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Business with Purpose podcast. I am pumped to have my guest on the show this week. This week's guest is Aaron Houston, who is one of the founders of Wearwell. Wearwell is basically, in a nutshell, an ethical fashion version of Stitch Fix. So it is a box that comes to your doorstep with three pieces of clothing that are ethically and sustainably made by some of the most amazing up-and-coming sustainable fashion brands. And you keep what you like, you send back what you don't. But Wearwell is so much more. Erin's story is so cool, how she kind of got into this. And we get into all of the nitty-gritty details. So I cannot wait for you to hear my conversation with Erin. Hello, Erin. Welcome to the show. Hi, Molly. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. I am so excited. I mean, I I realize I say this. People listening to the show are like, okay, Molly, we get it. You're excited to interview every (laughs) guest you have on. But I really am so excited to have you on the show. I've been looking forward to talking to you so much because, I mean, we're going to get into everything about you and your life and your story and where well and all that. Um, But I'm not going to lie. Like, when I first learned about Wearwell, I I squealed a little bit. Like I was like, <laughs> John, that's my husband. I was like, there is a company that is basically doing what I have been dreaming somebody else do. Like I was, <laughs> it was one of those things where I was like, I have this idea for a stitch fix, but with only ethically made clothes. Mm-hmm. And then um and I was like, somebody should really do that because I don't have the energy to. <laughs> I love hearing that. That brings so much joy to my life to hear that. And you're right. It's no easy feat. Um, And we've heard that from a number of people. Like, this is what I wish somebody else would do. So I know. (laughs) I'm so glad to hear that. I know. And so and then when I found you guys, I was like, yes, my prayers have been answered. So um, so I know. Spoiler alert for people who are, (laughs) you know, they're like, wait, wait, what? Um, So I'm I'm really spoiling it for you. That's anyway, okay. Thank so you. before we get into everything that is wear well and all of that, I need to get to know Aaron. The listeners need to get to know Aaron. So, Aaron, give us the Aaron 101. Tell us a little bit about yourself and tell us your story. Yeah, sounds good. So, I feel like to do my story justice, I need to rewind really far. Uh, I like, like really, it. really far. I so. like it. You're like, it was a cold September day. Exactly. I don't know. My mother <laughs> was in labor for 36 hours. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, but I think, you know, my story really starts with um, where I went to elementary school. Um, I grew up in Wilmington, Delaware, um, not too far from uh, where I am today in D.C., but I grew up going to an all-girls school. Uh, and my all-girls school's motto was servium, and uh, that in Latin um, stands for I will serve. And so I spent 12 years uh, kind of having this uh, motto instilled in me in everything I did, whether that was um, serving my family, serving my community, serving other women in my life, serving people who uh, lived internationally and in countries that um, at the time I would only dream of going to. Um, And so that is really where my story begins. So 
fast forward a little bit to college and I landed at William and Mary in Virginia. Oh, hey, I went to college at Christopher Newport University, which is right next door to William and Mary. Yeah, we're neighbors. That's Uh, wonderful. I know. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, for anybody who knows the tribe, they know that we are very service oriented people. Um, And I studied uh, government and English while I was there, but I turned everything I possibly could into international development studies. And um, it exposed me to a ton of different ideas and a ton of different models for problem solving and really helps um, develop an analytical side of me that um, that I just didn't have before. Uh, I ended up graduating. Um, so moving ahead a little bit on this long timeline, uh, I ended up graduating right after the market crash in 2008. Mm-hmm. And it was a rough time to get a job. Um, so many people were, were looking for just anything they could yeah. find. So I ended up landing in DC, uh, finally found a job working for a company that was a great fit at the time, but it wasn't quite aligned with my values and mm-hmm. my work uh, that I wanted to be doing. And I ended up finding a job uh, a couple months after that at a media company called DevX that serves the international development community. And that was sort of the beginning of my career in global development. Um, and so you probably are wondering, well, how the heck did you get into um, fashion and conscious fashion from international development? Um, and for for me, um, it really comes back to how conscious fashion is a global development issue. But yeah. I was working at this company um, and kind of made my way up throughout the years. I was there for about six and a half years. And in 2013, in April, about a year ago, so it's only um, it's only been a year and a week to the day, uh, excuse me, four years and a week to the day uh, of the Rana Plaza factory collapse. And yeah. I was working for this company at the time, working with a lot of corporations on how they communicate about their work in global development, whether that was their corporate social responsibility work or their emerging markets activities. And, you know, I was seeing some really great things going on in certain industries like banking, you know, looking at how Visa was impacting access um, to credit for women in countries where that was just not even something women thought of. Um, Also looking at, you know, how pharmaceutical companies were partnering with big companies like Coca-Cola to get vaccines and other medication to the very last mile and really reach people and impact their lives in positive ways. And when the Rana Plaza factory collapse happened in 2013, I was looking around, I had this purview of working across a bunch of different industries and everywhere I looked, uh, when the Rana Plaza factory collapse happened in 2013, the apparel industry just wasn't really at the table. Mm-hmm. And the things that they were doing were impacting people's lives. And so I started to really dig into what was happening in apparel and fashion um, see just how many people were affected by it in so many countries across the globe. Um, and decided that I was going to try to shop consciously for about a year uh, yeah. myself. And so I tried and I didn't get very far. It's hard. <laughs> uh, it's hard. It's really hard. You know, I'm sure I'm sure you've been in this position before where if you if you try really hard to place that limit on yourself, you realize that you either have to spend a lot of money to be able to get an item that fits exactly what you're looking for, or you have to compromise your style to find something that fits your values. Mm-hmm. Or if you're like me, you end up not wanting to compromise on either your budget or your style, and you end up diving into this rabbit hole of endless Google searching and Instagram searching until you find the perfect item. <laughs> so, yes, yes. Uh, yeah, and, and that experience really showed me that those 
clothes are there. It's just so hard to find them. Um, and while all of this was going on, I was also working on my master's degree. So I was at American University School of International Service, and I had started in the International Development Program. Um, I really, uh, when I started in that program, I, you know, I, uh, this was a couple years before Rana Plaza that I had started on my master's. And uh, I had wanted to be a gender expert in the field. Um, so going back to uh, my the recurring theme of my life tends to be working on how I can elevate and empower other women um, in my life. So I think a lot of that came from that initial experience at the all-girls school. And I'm trying to carry that through today because 85% of garment workers are women. Yeah. Um, so I wanted at the time to be a gender expert in the field, learned through a number of experiences that that is not where my strengths are and that I, um, I'm much better suited to be working on um, motivating people to um, think about the way that their lives can impact others um, and motivate change in those behaviors. Um, and so I, uh, I ended up in the International Development Program, met my co-founder, Emily Kenny, um, and then ended up transferring to the Social Enterprise Program for a number of reasons. Um, one was just because I realized it was a much better avenue, um, but two, I uh, found it to be so much more focused on solutions and looking at how do we really... Um, dive into not just knowing the problem, but looking for solutions in places we haven't looked before. So yeah. stepping outside of the traditional international development model of donor funding yeah. um, or you know, big USAID grants, that type of thing. Yeah. Um, and so my, my journey to Wearwell was really kind of this culmination of finding a personal need out of seeing a tragedy happen abroad. Um, but also, uh, I had the opportunity to work on it throughout grad school. So I've actually been working on Wearwell for about three years, even though we only launched publicly last month on Indiegogo. Yeah. Now, I want to back up real quick for people yeah. that don't know, because um, I, I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, I we have talked about this, not you and I, but just like we and the, the general collective we on the show, we've talked a lot about the Rana Plaza complex um, disaster. Yep. And I mean, it's kind of fresh on the mind because uh, I mean, we're recording this um, at the beginning of May. So, you know, right there at the end of April was Fashion Revolution Week. So exactly. for people that are listening that don't know what we're talking about when we're talking about the Rana Plaza complex disaster and um Aaron, you can feel free to fill in kind of where I missed the mm -hmm. blanks. Um, but basically what happened was is this is this complex of factories, garment factories in Bangladesh. Um, actually, a lot, of, a lot. I mean, while a lot of garments obviously come from China, one of the biggest, and because it's the cheapest, um, one of the biggest countries that exports clothing that we wear is Bangladesh um, because mm -hmm. it's so cheap. And um, there was this this particular factory complex that was, you know, in disrepair. All of the workers obviously were were not making a fair or a living wage. Um, you know, they're working 18, 20, sometimes 22 hours a day. Um, and, you know, apparently they had been going to their fact, you know, their their bosses, I guess is what you could say, the factory mm -hmm. owners and saying like, hey, there are cracks in the walls. Like this, this building is in disrepair. There's no um, fire extinguishers nearby. There's, I mean, there's, you know, this is a very unsafe place to work. And the factory owners were basically like, we don't care, keep working. Um, right. And eventually one day the entire factory complex collapsed and over 1100 people were killed. I mean, I think it was like hundreds, if not thousands of others were injured. Yeah, um, it was 2400 others injured. Yes. I mean, and there were even people that were found like 
chained to their sewing machines. I mean, just really awful, awful things. And and the other thing about it too, and the reason that this particular, because this isn't the first time that something like this has happened, but I think that the reason that this particular disaster really, I mean, not only was it one of the largest ever, if not, I think it was the largest ever, um, is that a lot of these factories were making clothes for the brands that are really popular. <laughs> places like Old Navy and JCPenney and you know, places like that, that, that we all shop at, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think that that was the first time that the, um, the average American consumer was all of a sudden like, oh, wait, there are real people with real names that make my clothes, <laughs> you know? And yeah. so it just sort of was like this light bulb moment for people. Cause I think, and I was totally guilty of this before for, uh, for a lot of reasons for, uh, for many years, I legitimately thought that like, machines just made our clothes (laughs) like I realize that's very ignorant to say but I honestly did like I I just kind of was like oh yeah I mean there's technology you know assembly line stuff right yeah well you know you've got a whole global supply chain obscuring the face of whomever made it and of course you know I I was guilty of the same thing yeah yeah and so I think that that's yeah like so that whole that whole disaster is um is something that we talk a lot about on the show because for so many people it was the wake up moment and it's really interesting because if you look at the statistics of um you know supply chain transparency changes and just the de- the overall consumer demand for sustainably made ethically made and fair trade goods has i mean it's nowhere near it needs to be but it's certainly skyrocketed in a lot of ways since that happened. Right. And I think that one of the other things it it brought to mind for so many people was that um, the way that we used to do this, uh, boycotting, just simply doesn't work. Right. You know, if you, right. a lot of people woke up to the mentality that, okay, there's actually a governance issue here. So right. if a country like Bangladesh um, it can't regulate how how their workers are being treated and how their factories are treating workers, if we just stop purchasing things that say made in Bangladesh, we're actually going to drive those people into deeper poverty. And so as soon as you start to realize that, you start to understand just how complicated this is. So I think there's been an outpouring of activity in this space because it was a wake up moment, not just for who made your clothes, but how complicated it is to be able to motivate the fashion industry to change what they're doing. Yes. And it, and I have talks, I have this conversation a lot with my friend, um, Bethany Tran, who is the founder of the root collective. We Mm, talk about, we talk about this a lot, um, in that, like even how gray of an issue this is too, and how it's not as black and white as we want it to be. Um, even as down to the fact of or the issue of child labor um Mm. because obviously we don't want kids (laughs) having to work and make our stuff um and she you know she said how it's it's so complicated especially you know like you know she does her work in guatemala and she says you know you see these kids in guatemala who are forced to go to work but a lot of times their only other option is either is go to work or join a gang Mm -hmm. so it's like what are they supposed to do because their parents are also not paid a fair wage they're all their parents are also not paid a living wage so their parents are given the choice of either like work this terrible job or not work at all or join a gang <laughs> you know like these just there's no option and so then their their parents are not able to afford to send their kids to school right. and so then you have these kids running the streets and so their their choices get a job in a factory or 
you know, or join a gang. And so it's like this very, it's so gray. But then at the same time, it's like, well, but then if we get, it's like that ripple effect. Like if we get back down to the root of the issue, which is workers, you know, there's the overall systemic problem of people are, you know, the the governance issues and people not being paid a fair and living wage so that they can support their families and put their kids through school so their kids don't have to work and things like that. So it's just like that. Mm-hmm. It's it's just like one thing affects another. And it's just it's so messy. It's so complicated, but it does boil down to just an overall systemic issue that is not as simple as just boycotting. Yeah. And similarly, um, Rachel Fowler, the the co-founder and creative director of Tone Lay. I love uh, her. I love her. Yes. Yeah. She talks about how complicated this is in Cambodia, mm-hmm. for example, where there are women who um, their options, their, their, their best option sometimes is actually working in sex trafficking. Yes. And that is their best option to be able to provide for their family. Uh, So how can you rework a system so that they have another option rather than just removing them from a situation that was actually allowing their family to survive um, in a, in a, in a, not, I don't want to say better way, but in a, um, in a higher income way uh, that, that allowed them to make ends meet. And it's, it's so much more complicated than simply, um, you know, stop buying from this country, buy from this one or buy this label and not that. It's right. so intertwined with many, many issues and yeah. across the globe, too. Yeah. And I always tell people, I'm like, for me, made in China or made in Bangladesh, that's not that's not a deal breaker for me. That's right. not what I'm talking <laughs> right. about. It's not where it's made. It's who and how it's made. Yeah. Um, made in the U.S. is nice because it's in our backyard so we can go right. see it. And we know our government has certain regulations, but made in the U.S. isn't inherently better than made in Nicaragua or made in Colombia right. or made in Cambodia. Right. It's mm-hmm. it's interesting, too, like how much I mean, I, I feel like this is an issue that I still I still am admittedly very ignorant on, even as much as I try to learn. And as many business owners that I talk to, you know, <laughs> through this podcast and stuff I do um, through my blog and through social media, like I, f- I feel like I try to learn as much as I can. But then my my view and my opinion on things continues to change the more that I talk to people and the more that I see for myself. Um, mm-hmm. On my most recent trip to Kenya back in January, um, one of the purposes of me going is I was doing, I mean, it was through my church, but it was, um, I was doing some work with a ministry that are, that sort of, long story short, fell into the lap of our church. Um, and it's a, I mean, it's this whole separate 501c3, but it's managed by people from our church. And then we also have um, in-country staff in Kenya that run it and are in charge there. You know, they're, they're native, they speak the language, they, mm-hmm. they, they're the ones on the ground really doing the hard work. We're just sort of over here trying to support them as best we can. But basically what this ministry is, is doing, it's called Street Hope. And we are, um, or they are, I should say, we, I, I did some home visits and I'm trying to help from the American side, but um, <laughs> at the, the, the Kenyan staff, what they're doing is they're literally taking women, and then we actually have one man as well, off of um, off of the streets and, and so to speak, um, it's these men and uh, these women and this man who have been forced into survival prostitution. Or I mean, mm-hmm. I I was trying to explain them like this, this is sex trafficking. <laughs> uh, you call it su- survival prostitution. Sur- call it whatever you want. Yeah, it it's sex trafficking mm-hmm. um, to support their families. And so what we're doing with them is helping them to um, we're giving you know micro loans 
um, small business loans, things like that, and helping them start their own sustainable businesses within their communities so that they're able to become business owners, they're able to have something that's sustainable long-term, giving them business training, all that kind of stuff to give them another option. Right. Um, and so that's that's one of those things that just creates that more sustainable long-term solution that helps to break that cycle rather than just going in there and you know being like here's here's uh you know a hundred dollars have fun with it you know like it's in this in instead it's like here is a loan to start your business and here are some skills of you know how do you develop a business plan and all that kind of stuff Um, yeah that's great but I know we're giving people the tools to build their own livelihoods exactly exactly Mm -hmm. I know we kind of got off off track a little bit but I kind of wanted to go a little bit deeper into that because I think that in so many ways helps just further explain the foundation of why ethical and sustainable fashion is so important. Um, Absolutely. Because it, it really does, it really does matter. Like people are like, my purchase doesn't matter. It, it does though. It does. Yeah. There was a, a fact I read just a couple days ago that really astounded me. And that is that there are 3 trillion people in the world who are in some way employed by the fashion industry. Insane. And so, yeah. And, and it just, it's astounding to me, the, the reach of the fashion industry that we just don't always think about. Yeah. And yet we see stores every single day, right? Yes. We, we drive past them, we go in them. Uh, and you know, if we have a disposable attitude towards our clothing or a transactional attitude without realizing just how many people are behind it, mm-hmm. it can become a huge problem. Yes. Yes. So I want to get into kind of what, you know, you, you met your business partner, um, your co-founder, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, then what sort of took place from there and, and how did Wearwell get started and all of that? So you said you've yeah, been, so you been working on it for three years. We have, yeah. So we, like I said, we met in grad school. Um, We were in a class together. Um, I had moved programs. We ended up reconnecting. And it was actually really, a really funny experience. We met up for dinner and we just, you know, went to a, we went to grab uh, some of the hot meal, like pre-prepared stuff at Whole Foods and get a casual dinner and just catch up and see what was going on in each other's lives. And I had just come from a class where I was given this assignment to pitch any idea And I was really kind of beating myself up over this because I was like, I don't have an idea. I just, I know that I have fallen in love with this problem of, of sustainable and ethical fashion, but I don't have the right solution. So I had pitched this idea that I knew wasn't good. I knew was probably going to fail, had huge overhead costs associated with it. Um, but I did it anyway. And I left the class feeling really frustrated because I had just put my heart and soul into talking about the issue that I cared most about um, and put out an idea that was terrible and I knew it. And so I shared this with her over dinner and she said, hmm, have you heard of Stitch Fix? Maybe you could just adapt your idea. <laughs> and and um, she, you know, without our dinner, we never would have come up with the idea or hit on the idea that we would then go on to test. So we ended up going from there to hosting a prototyping day with about 25 people where we generated a lot of different ideas, all with the the main goal of how do we create uh, an opportunity for consumers to change to truly change their buying behavior. Yeah. Um, our assumption being that if consumers behave differently, the market will answer. Yes. Um, and so we ended up coming up with 
a ton of different ideas. I mean, hundreds of them among these 25 people doing a fun prototyping session of the kind you see uh, being done in the you know, Silicon Valley with a bunch of post-it notes, that type of thing. Yeah. And then, yeah. Yeah. Um, ended up coming up with three ideas that we then tested head to head for a few weeks after that with um, slightly more sophisticated prototypes. And um, the one that came out on top was the original idea. And so um, I turned it into my practicum project at American and we did a digital prototype where we had people kind of create online profiles. We actually went shopping for over a hundred people online oh, my <laughs> to goodness. be able to test the idea. I know it was a little crazy. Um, and it's been in the works ever since, but it's been really fun to see how it's evolved. And I think what I'm most excited about beyond all of this initial traction that we've gotten through the Indiegogo campaign and hearing people like you saying, I'm so glad you're doing this, um, is the idea that we can shift the model slightly to be able to be much more supportive to lift up other conscious fashion brands. So something yeah. that we're trying really hard to do is make sure that every step of the way, we're helping the whole industry lift up a bit and grow more. Um, and so you know, that's for right now, this, that's one small step towards connecting the customers with not just the impact behind each piece that we send them, but also connecting them with the brand who made it so that they actually know where they can go to find more rather than just relying on a box that comes once a month or once every three months to them right. to be able to fill their wardrobe. Right. I would love to know, like, what did some of those early brainstorming sessions look like? Like, what were some of the ideas that got thrown around? Like, was it just sort of you you pitched to these people in this room, hey, there's this, you know, systemic problem. We're trying to figure out how to best, you know, change people's buying habits. Like, what did you do to sort of set up this this session? I'm just, I'm so fascinated by it. I would like, would have yeah. loved to be a fly on the wall. <laughs> so I can, I can really nerd out on this. So cut me off. It's boring. <laughs> but um, it's the whole ideal method of design thinking that we applied to it. So we had, like I said, around 25 people in the room. We put a problem up on the board. I think I gave like a two minute talk. So really couldn't dive in too much. People had to interpret the problem as they would. And we tried to keep it really simple because the average person does not walk around the world thinking about their clothing and who made it. We have right. to kind of get people to associate that. Um, and so we asked people to, you know, we timed them for um, 30 seconds, write down every idea you have of a, um, a potential business model. Uh, and then we gave them another minute with a different constraint. Like if you had a million dollars, what would you do with it to solve this problem? If you had a staff of 10 people, what would you do to solve this problem and give people different constraints to encourage them to think creatively. Yeah. And then we literally broke them into groups and gave them crazy things like straws and balloons and pipe cleaners and boxes and <laughs> asked them to like actually prototype things or draw websites and walk around and test them with other people we had recruited to be these testers where they could then interact with whatever prototype the person had made with the end goal being on a scale of one to five, how likely would you be to use this? And if they, if their audience or their tester went up on the scale, they were headed in the right direction. That is so cool. Now, how did you find these people? Were these just like friends and family or did you just like, I'm, I'm so yeah. curious, like how, was, how you curated these 25 people? Yeah, it was friends. And we said, please bring three friends. <laughs> so eventually we got there. <laughs> that is awesome. Now, was this a, you know, like a, a, a one day thing? Was it a, a month long thing? Like, was it six months? Like, I, yeah, so that was just one day. And then we went from there to um, Emily and I actually prototyping um, the three top ideas and 
walking around to everybody we knew and showing them these three different prototypes at different times and kind of going through that same model. But we did that for about two more weeks and tested them head to head, um, just in our daily interactions with people. You know, I actually would approach people on the sidewalk. Oh <laughs> like, my gosh. Hey, can I talk to you about this? Um, I love it. I bet people were totally sketched out. They're like, um, why is this person talking to me? <laughs> they totally were. They totally were. But we got some great intel on it. You know, it was, that's the way to do it. Yeah. Now, um, so for people that don't know, and we've, we've kind of skirted around the it, if you will, but what does Wear Well look like today? The, the campaign that you put on Indiegogo, what is the vision, the plan, the mission of Wear Well now? After three years of planning and all of the hard work that you guys have put into this, what does it look like now? Yeah. So the way that I describe what Wear Well does without going into the nitty gritty is we make it effortless for women to find clothes that fit their style and their values. That's kind of at the heart of everything that we are doing. Um, today, what it looks like is, you know, we just ended the, the Indiegogo campaign two days ago, and uh, we are now moving steadily towards fulfilling all of the around 350 pre-orders that we got through that campaign. And for us, that means turning on the site that we spent some time building um, so that people can go online and create their profile, tell us about their uh, their style. So do you like stripes or polka dots? You know, basic things about your wardrobe, uh, your fit, your sizing, your budget, how much you typically spend on clothing so that we can try to work within that. And then most of all, what you care about. So we're asking people questions like, do you care most about human rights or the environment? Um, something maybe more specific like access to clean water. Um, and go from there to curate uh, three pieces for each recipient, um, put them in a box, send them to her door. She keeps what she loves. She sends back what she doesn't. And we then communicate the impact of that piece. And like I said, the brand where they can go to find more. So today what we're doing is we're working on a lot of our brand partnerships. And uh, that's been really, really fun to be on the phone with a ton of different creators all the time, hearing what their inspiration was to get into this space in the first place. You know, yeah. everybody from um, the the founders of clothing companies to accessory brands to people in country. So something I should mention is Emily, my co-founder, she lives in Cambodia. Oh, wow. So, so yeah, so we are, um, you know, we've got 12 hour time difference between us, we've got half a half a globe between us. But she's also on the ground in Cambodia, meeting people who um, are making the scarves that were a part of our campaign and something that we want to carry on a regular basis and really kind of understanding not just what the brand needs, but what those people need. Right. Uh, yeah, so that's been where that's where we are today, and it's been exciting to have those really inspiring conversations. I feel so honored to to be surrounded by founders every single moment uh, the past few days. That is so cool. Now your Indiegogo campaign just wrapped up. Mm -hmm. um, are you? Did it go how you expected it to? Did it meet your expectations? Talk a little bit about that. Like what what that was like for you and, um, and you know, why you guys decided to kind of go the Indiegogo route versus, you know, maybe getting like a private investor or something like that to start and all that. Yeah. So it was wild. It was totally wild. I'm not going to lie. Uh, we set a goal of $30,000 and we raised it within seven hours. Amazing. Uh, which was just felt insane. And I think I'm still in shock from it. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. It's so um, exciting. 
Yeah, it's it's really thrilling. So it went much better than we could have ever imagined. You know, I, I had hoped that it would be a big success and that we would hit our goal quickly. Uh, we did a couple different things to try to make sure we met our goal early. Um, but we ended up raising over $52,000. And that is not something that we could have uh, foreseen or even dared to count on. Um, but the strategy with Indiegogo for us was it would be great to get some real traction around the idea before taking it to an investor, uh, whether an angel or a venture capital firm, with the idea that we want to make sure we're proving that this is actually a need in the market. Uh, And if we were funded enough, we could still serve those people. But um, you know, if it wasn't a wild success, we knew, okay, maybe there might be a better solution out here to the, yeah. to the problem that we're trying to solve. So Emily and I are always trying to make sure that we're kind of finding that true North, always coming back to the problem of, uh, how can we motivate people to shop differently and be more aware of how they build a conscious closet. Um, and so the, the choice of launching through Indiegogo was really to get the word out and to see if there was excitement and there was, which I'm really thrilled about. That is so awesome. Yeah, when I, because I have sort of been watching, once you guys, I guess, sort of made yourselves public, if you will, or made the announcement, I I honestly don't even remember how I came across it. I think it was one of those internet rabbit holes, and I came, (laughs) you know, came across Werewell, and I was like, this is amazing. And then, you know, the Indiegogo campaign launched, and I didn't even, I mean, I'd gotten the email, and I was like, okay, I'll go, um, you know, back it. I guess later tonight and like I had I mean by the time I'd gotten on the the it had already been met and I was like oh my gosh I mean I still backed it because I was like I I want in Um, (laughs) thank you oh you're welcome you're welcome I'm not I'm not just saying that to be like hey I backed your campaign I'm one of your investors now um but no but I genuinely was so excited and then when I saw that it had already been met I was like yes this is awesome so I think that is just that really is indicative that this is a need and a want and a desire in the market. Yeah, it's it's really validating, and for me, it's really motivating. You know, I'm like I said, I'm I'm in this to help people behave differently, yeah. um, and help people solve that frustration that I had that I couldn't even fulfill shopping consciously for an entire year myself. Um, and so, to me, that is really thrilling that we get to we get to do that. We get to help people in that way. That's so awesome. Now, what are sort of the what's the next step? What is the you know now that the Indiegogo campaign is over? I know you're talking to, to talking to a lot of these brands. Mm -hmm. What is the next step for you guys? And what does the timeline look like? And what is sort of your hope and vision for, you know, sort of the immediate future, but then also, you know, six months, a year, two years, five years from now? Yeah. So because the crowdfunding campaign was so successful, we're only serving our crowdfunding backers for a couple oh, months. Wow, uh, awesome. I know. I'm I'm excited that we can make them uh, exclusive Wearwell customers for a little while. Uh, but really a lot of that is so that we can perfect our model and yeah. um, be able to be ready to serve a lot more people. And so we'll go through a, 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 we're estimating about three months of serving only our crowdfunding backers and then opening it up to everyone from there. In the meantime, we're going to have a wait list and um, bring people in as we're able to to begin serving them. Yeah. Um, but we've got 
big plans for the future. A lot of what we are trying to do, as I mentioned before, is find new and different ways of lifting up emerging conscious fashion brands. So um, some things that I'm really excited about um, are the opportunities to to partner even more deeply with those brands. So if we've got any brands listening, <laughs> definitely reach out to me. Um, but that might be not just through connecting them to customers inside a box that uh, the the customer receives um, through a story card or something like that, but that's through telling their story, whether that's through a blog or that is through um, a direct email that a customer receives to interact more with whomever that maker is. Um, you know, years down the road, I'd love to see us go brick and mortar and be able to create spaces where people can interact with the products and interact with uh, areas that they can actually become more educated about conscious fashion in and be able to have conversations with others. So we just hosted an event uh, during Fashion Revolution Week, and it was it was great to be able to bring people together, but it also reminded me of um, how much we have to go <laughs> with, with educating people on how complicated the issue of conscious fashion is. You know, I can tend to nerd out on supply chains and get really into this uh, because I studied it for several years, but um, you know, how do we make that translatable to people? And I think a great way of doing that is bringing people together in a common space to learn and share and interact, whether that is through something like a wearwell um, dinner that we host to oh, teach cool. people yeah. about the issues and have them interact with each other. So, you know, we're thinking way bigger. Emily and I really want to make sure that we're building a community yeah. uh, rather than just a business. I love that. I love that. That's so important to, because you know, you think about some of the brands that, um, and companies that really are, I don't want to say successful, because I think success can be defined in different ways, but there are so many brands and so many companies that, that do the whole community thing really well and really mm -hmm. love on their clients. They love on their customers. <laughs> and then they, those people become brand loyal for exactly for life. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that is, I think that is so cool. Now, I don't I, know if, yo, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I think the interesting challenge for us with all of that is how do we, how do we make them not just loyal to us, but loyal to our brand partners yes. whose yes, products yes, yes, we'll be yes, carrying. Yes. And so that's going to be a really interesting thing to explore and build along the way. I love that. And I think that's a great sort of, you guys really have the heart for it of not just like, hey, I want you to, you know, obviously shop where well, but here, you know, I want you to be introduced to these amazing companies that are making these clothes and, and empowering the people from the, you know, from the top down um, yeah. or the bottom up or however you want to look at it. <laughs> um, now, I don't know if you can answer these questions because I don't know if this is like proprietary information or anything, but so I'll like, let you know, if I can, yeah, that, Hey, it's cool. I'm giving you, I'm giving you freedom. So awesome. right now, I mean, obviously it's you and um, Emily now, do you have a staff already? Do you, or is it literally like it's a two man show right now? So right now two it's woman. a two woman show. <laughs> we have a, um, an intern who we recently brought on named Francisca, who I adore. She's lovely. Um, and she is managing a lot of our social media strategy right now. Um, but we know that we're going to need to hire soon, but we don't know what that looks like quite yeah. yet. Um, we, you know, the, the $52,000 from the campaign is great, but that does not a salary make for yeah. many people. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're figuring out a lot of the, nuts and bolts before we move forward with hiring and getting our strategy in place. But my hope is by the end of the year, we'll have a team built. That's awesome. And are you like when you're talking to these brand partners and as you're thinking, you know, 
long term and you're thinking even well even short term you're thinking of that these you know first three-ish months where you're serving your indiegogo backers are you buying you know wholesale from these brands and then you're just like you've got a room in your house that just got a ton of clothes <laughs> you know and yeah. then you're just, like how I, I just like the logistics of it because the reason I ask is because I have I have worked with Stitch Fix in the past and I know that you guys are a, a you know similar model but obviously very very different in a lot of ways yeah. um yeah. and I and I will say this right off people are because people are gonna be like Molly do you still love fix, Stitch Fix I do still <laughs> love Stitch Fix I and that's okay yeah. we can be complimentary right right yeah and because very different but uh, but in 2014 I actually got to go to the Stitch Fix headquarters and I got oh, to go great. I okay. got to go to their warehouse I got to see how it all works and how it all runs and um it is a massive operation I mean it uh-huh. is just and that was in 2014 before yeah. it even got to where it is now um so I you know in my mind I'm just like oh my gosh I mean I'm not trying to overwhelm you because I'm sure you've already <laughs> thought about all these things no this is what wakes me up at 3 a.m yeah so you're not overwhelming me <laughs> so so like what is what does that look like in the short term like yeah so are you just buying wholesale and then just housing them in your house in your apartment or your house or whatever you know how what does that look like in the early stage Yeah, great question. You know, we so we are working out different arrangements with different brands depending on what their needs are. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're kind of backing into our sourcing methods, um, trying to accommodate whatever structure might allow the brands to thrive as well as us. So I won't go too much into detail there, but I will tell you that we are being really scrappy. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, I say that with a lot of laughter because I spent, um, a weekend in New York a couple weekends ago at the rent the runway and UBS project entrepreneur intensive weekend and had the, the pleasure of hearing, um, Sarah Blakely of Spank speak and the founders of rent the runway. And it's so funny to hear their story because Sarah Blakely ran Spanx out of her apartment for three years and uh, Rent the Runway, they were themselves, the founders were packing up their orders for a very long time themselves in the back of a like rented room in the back of a dry cleaners. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, it's, it's not glamorous right now. And uh, I don't, you know, I don't mean to compare us to either one of those operations, especially at the scale that they are today, nor Stitch Fix's operation. But we're taking that same approach of being really lean at the beginning um, and doing what we can to make sure we get the business model right when we're serving our customers. Yes. But um, it is it's going to be in in the in a room in my house for a little while. I love um, it. I love yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, and just packing things up and driving them to the post office. It's funny. I mean, I think and I don't know if if like these two things have just sort of happened because of what my life is like right now. But over the past couple of years, like I have developed, I mean, some of my best friends run a lot of eth- these ethical fashion brands. Uh-huh. I mean, what Bethany Tran, like I said earlier, who runs a root collective, like she's one of my closest friends. And then um, Katie Martinez, who is the founder of Elegantese, like she and I are really close friends now. And so, and then I have my friend, Emily Sexton, who runs a ethical fashion boutique here in Raleigh. Um, and they have an online shop. Like she's one of my closest friends. So it's just funny because I have these, you know, very, very close friends who I speak with 
nearly every day. And, you know, I've been to their house and you know I've seen them without makeup on. And they're like, this is the CEO glam. Like, I'm telling you, this is how awesome and glamorous it is. You know, everybody thinks being a business owner is super fancy. <laughs> no, you, you got to be you got to be in it for yeah. the right reasons. And, you know, you don't do it for the glamour. You don't do it for the, all the sleep that you get. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're ready to roll up your sleeves because you believe in the mission, especially with Bethany and the others who you've mentioned. Like they, they're doing great things. And I'm sure that wherever they are today, they started exactly like this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I love it. I, I mean, that's just, that's one of the things that I think also speaks a lot to your heart and because you wouldn't do oh, it you. because it, you wouldn't do it if you didn't if you weren't passionate about it because you know the glamorous part is like a one percent of your daily activity or your right your and, and you know it's funny I actually didn't um I didn't mention this I walked away from a full-time job for this oh um, wow I, I mentioned grad school as being kind of the the last step but I was actually working um full-time had a great job and um you know could not put this idea down and so yeah. I left my job uh, at the end of 2016 to be able to go full-time on this and so it, it took it took a lot of being okay with working out of a room in the house and doing everything myself and getting that no makeup CEO glam look. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my goodness. Well, Erin, you have just blown me away with, I mean, I, one, I was, I was already really excited about Werewell and now I'm like a thousand times more excited. So I'm going to (laughs) be like anxiously waiting by the door for the I don't know, FedEx or UPS or mail person to deliver my, I'm just going to be sitting there like Christmas. I'll just be like, it's, awesome, it's Christmas. I'm so excited. Um, so for people that maybe if you, if you were, if you missed out and you were not able to back the Indiegogo campaign, but you're like, you're listening to this and you're like, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. I want in. What can those people do to support Wearwell and to get in on that wait list and, and all that good stuff? So there's a few different things. I should mention, first and foremost, word of mouth support. So just sharing with your friends, making sure you mention it, sharing on social media goes a hugely long way for us. Um, and that's something that I'm always so grateful for. Um, I know how important that is to just get people not, not only supporting Wearwell, but supporting the idea that we're after. Yeah. Um, so please spread the word. Yes. Uh, the other way, um, so we actually converted the, the Indiegogo campaign over to Indiegogo On Demand and left up the option to get a pre-order. So for a little while, I'm not quite sure how long we're going to leave that up, but for a little while, you can actually still get a pre-order on Indiegogo. Sweet. Um, so just head to our site at shopwherewell.com. And you can link through to the Indiegogo campaign, or you can just join our mailing list at the bottom of the page. We've been sending out lots of email throughout the campaign, but we're going to slow down on the amount of emails rolling through everybody's inbox because nobody nobody loves that. So um, if you sign up for our email list, um, you will get notifications about when we start to open a wait list if you want to join it then. That is so so awesome. So, And you guys are also on social media. You're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook all that. Yes. Instagram is the best way to follow us and find us. It's at shopwarewell. Sweet. I'm, I'm already following you. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Aaron, and if people want to get in touch with you, if, if maybe an, um, an ethical or sustainable brand is listening and they want to get involved, what is the best way for them to get involved and contact you? Yeah. 
you can just email me. And y'all listening who don't own a brand, just email me as well. I love hearing <laughs> from people. I might yes. be a little slow to respond. I'm not going to lie. But <laughs> but um, my email is just Erin, E-R-I-N, at shopwarewell.com. And happy to hear from folks. Erin, this is so great. I had such a blast talking with you. I loved Thank hearing you, your Molly. story. Thank you, Molly. It was a joy. <laughs> and I have to, I'm, I'm going to hold you to this, and I'm just going to go ahead and put you on the spot. You have to come back on the show in a few months or, you know, sometime next year when Werewell is wildly successful and up and running. I'm, we're just going to, we're going to prophesy this. <laughs> I would happily do that. And actually, I'm going to put you on the spot. I would love to do something that brings our brands along with us. Oh, founders all at the same time. That would be awesome. Yes. So we will. Let's do it. We're going to we're going to stick. We're we're now basically like best friends. So um, (laughs) so we're going to keep in touch. It's going to be awesome. I'm cheering you along along the way. And I am so excited. Like I said, I'm going to be sitting at my doorstep waiting for my wherewell to come because I'm so excited. So I did the, uh, I did the black, I think it was a, fa- it's fashionable is the bags you guys had in the, was it It's fashionable? not actually. It's not. The, the tote bags are E-Not, E-N-A-T. Oh. It's a, a brand that is, they work with a workshop in Ethiopia. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I chose, yeah. I chose the, the black tote bag. It's a very I'm good choice. Real excited <laughs> about it because I was I was actually drawn to the camel colored tote bag, mm-hmm. but then I was like, wait a second, I have like I don't need another camel colored <laughs> tote bag. I don't own a black bag, so think strategically here, Molly. <laughs> <laughs> you so. made a great choice. And the thing that I love about them is that. Those bags wear beautifully. So you know how some leather bags, if they get a scratch, you feel like, oh, my gosh, it's ruined. These, yeah. it, it actually takes it on as a mark of character. It's yeah. really gorgeous. Yeah, when you have really good leather, when you're working with great leather and just great high-quality materials, really well and um, really handcrafted very well, they can just – oh, they're beautiful. Yes. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm just painting a mental a mental picture for our listeners to picture, picture this beautiful leather tote bag handmade in Ethiopia. Oh. <laughs> By Daniel and his team. So. I love it. I love it. Erin, yeah. thank you so much for coming on the show. Molly, and thanks for the opportunity. This was, this was wonderful. Yes. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. And we will definitely be keeping in touch. Okay, raise your hand if you are excited about the launch of Wearwell. You guys, I cannot wait. I loved hearing about Erin's heart for this. I loved hearing uh, just the amount of work that she and her business partner, Emily, have put into this. I cannot even imagine. I am literally counting down the days until Wearwell officially, officially launches by, you know, coming to my doorstep. I'm I'm so excited. So if you want to get in on Wearwell, be sure to visit shopwearwell.com. Get on that waiting list or um, get it, get your pre-orders in. I'm so excited. Now, thank you guys again so much for listening to the show. If this is your first time, welcome. Be sure you are subscribed on iTunes and take a moment to leave us a review. Let us know what you like. Let us know what you'd like to see. If there are any guests that you would like to see, please shoot me an email, molly at stillbeingmolly.com. And be sure to leave some love on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at stillbeingmolly and wherewell is at shopwherewell if you loved this show. And As always, be sure to share the show with a friend. That's the best way that we can get this show out there. Thank you guys so much, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye.